imagine this. It's a foggy morning in 1778 in British occupied Long Island, New York. You, an American merchant, are just opening up shop for the day when the owner of the local tavern comes in to buy groceries. The British troops in the corner of the store eye him suspiciously, but then again, they're suspicious of everyone. As he's about to leave, you slip him a scrap of paper. Written on it is a list of the items he bought, but at the bottom is a cryptic series of numbers and letters. To most onlookers, the paper would seem like a trivial item, most likely just a receipt. The British soldiers certainly thought so, seeing as they just let him pass with barely a second glance. However, that piece of paper is anything but trivial. It's your daily intelligence report of the British activities in Long Island, and it has a very special destination. That piece of paper would eventually make its way across the Long Island Sound to Connecticut, where it would then travel directly to George Washington's headquarters in Morristown, New Jersey. Welcome to One Time Pot. My name is Jerry G, and I'll be your host for this episode, The Culper Ring, the unsung heroes of the Revolutionary War. During the American Revolution, reports from the Culper Ring were the only sources of information on British activities in New York for the Continental Army. They were a crucial factor to the outcome of the war, and without the Culper Ring, America as we know it might not exist. In the opening story, you portrayed Robert Townsend, one of the spies in the Culper Spy Ring. During the Revolutionary War, Major Benjamin Talmadge of the Continental Army established the spy ring under orders from Washington, who wanted to secure intelligence network that would report on British troop movements in Long Island. After previous attempts proved disastrous, Talmadge tried a different approach by using networks of civilians instead of spies. Civilians had the key advantage of being able to operate discreetly behind enemy lines, disguising operations under normal day-to-day -day actions, whereas conventional spies had to sneak in and out of enemy lines. As a result, Talmadge recruited childhood friends and other trusted contacts from Long Island and tasked each one with a part of the process of collecting and transporting information. For instance, Robert Townsend, who we just met, was an influential merchant in New York and was in charge of the collection of information. From there, Townsend's daily reports will be passed off to Austin Rowe, the tavern owner from earlier. Rowe then brings the message to Caleb Brewster, who'd carry them across the Long Island Sound to a location on the Connecticut shore. There, he would meet with men sent by Talmadge, who would ride west until they reached Washington in New Jersey. Behind the scenes, Abraham Woodhull oversaw the day-to-day -day operations in Long Island, and he himself reported back to Talmadge. Although this method was very inefficient and slow, it effectively circumvented British patrols and no operatives were definitively exposed as spies. Besides the roundabout path of communication, Culper Ring operatives also had other security measures to protect both the sensitive messages and the agents themselves. All agents were given code names to protect their identities in case the British ever decrypted the messages. Talmadge went by John Bolton, and Townsend and Woodhull went by Samuel Culper, Sr. and Jr., which is where the name of the organization comes from. However, to be able to read these code names, the British would have to first decrypt the intercepted message. The messages were all enciphered, or converted into code, with a code book. 
A codebook is an encryption system where words are replaced with a series of numbers that point to a reference position in a previously agreed upon text. A famous example of a book cipher, which is related to a codebook in that it replaces individual letters instead of whole words, is in the Beale ciphers, a set of three encrypted texts that supposedly reveals the location of the buried treasure of a man named Thomas J. Beale, estimated to be worth over $43 million. In document number two, the U.S. Declaration of Independence is used as a reference text. Another more modern example is the Cicada 3301 mystery, which has occasionally used book ciphers in its puzzles. Going back to the culprit ring, a collection of more than 700 of the most commonly used words were compiled into the Culper Codebook, which was like a dictionary for agents looking to encrypt and decrypt messages. For example, the number 711 referred to George Washington, which was the 711th word in the Culper Codebook. 745 referred to England, and 727 referred to New York. However, since the codebook only contained 700 words, every word not including the manual would be encrypted using a substitution cipher, which simply replaces one letter with another, so that each plain text letter would have an equivalent cipher text letter. In addition, numbers were encrypted by substituting them with letters in order to avoid confusion. Yet, there is a major flaw to simple substitution ciphers like the one Talmadge used. Since each letter corresponds only to one other letter, the enciphered letters will still occur in the same frequencies as their corresponding plain text letters in the English alphabet. For instance, if a plain text E is enciphered as an X, the X will still occur in roughly the same percentage in the encrypted text as the E does in unencrypted text. This makes this a very weak method of encryption because it can be broken with a technique called frequency analysis. Frequency analysis sounds like exactly what it says on the tin. The frequencies of the occurrences of each letter in the encrypted messages can be compared to the known frequencies of each English alphabet letter. And with some trial and error, one can find the links between plain text and ciphertext. This whole process doesn't take very long and as a result, substitution ciphers are not a secure way of encrypting text. Fortunately, the primary method of encryption is still the book cipher, since most of the words in a message could likely be found in the codebook. Book ciphers are also incredibly hard to break, because without either the reference text, text or the codebook itself, it would be nearly impossible to make sense of the seemingly random numbers. For example, the message, Sam Culper Jr. in danger, evacuate immediately, would turn into 723, 282, 132, 183, 329, which just seems like a nonsensical string of letters if you don't have the reference text. It is possible that with a combination of frequency analysis performed on the words encrypted with a substitution cipher, and numerous lucky guesses, perhaps guessing the number that referred to an agent by looking at the signature at the bottom, the culprit code might have been cracked. However, 
there was an additional line of defense before an interceptor could even see the message. Reports would often be written in invisible ink, using a technique called steganography. Steganography is the practice of concealing information rather than encoding it. Invisible ink is a classic example of steganography, because while whatever is written may or may not also be encrypted, the invisible ink would hide the true message from most readers. The culprit ring used invisible ink to hide messages within other seemingly innocent messages, which would pass British inspections that could then be delivered to the intended recipient. If any message were to be intercepted, the interceptor would still have to find the hidden message and decode it, which makes the culprit ring's code a very secure method of communication. However, there is no record for the British ever intercepting a message, so the many layers of encryption were never put to the test. Although it may seem like the culprit ring was solely on the defensive during the war, that's actually not true at all. Washington operated several black chambers during the war, which intercepted British intelligence reports. Similar in nature to the French black chambers from the 18th century, where teams of cryptanalysts examined intercepted letters, the American black chambers discreetly intercepted and returned correspondences between British operatives. Black chamber operations provided valuable insight on British activities that observation alone could not achieve. Due to its reliable communication path and black chamber operations, the culprit ring was very successful during the war effort. In addition to giving Washington detailed intelligence on British troop movements, fortifications, and port activity, there was actually a famous case where intelligence reports resulted in directly actionable information. Washington, upon learning of British General Henry Clinton's plans to mobilize troops, to attack French forces in Rhode Island, led his troops across the Hudson River to stop the advancing British army. Clinton retreated once he heard the news of Washington's advance, and as a result, the French army was spared. The intelligence gathered by the culprit ring likely saved the tenuous French-American alliance, and thus helped secure America's victory. Although most of their work was done in the shadows, and they don't get the recognition they deserve, the culprit ring was a key factor during the war. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Time Pod. My name is Jerry G, and this was The Culprit Ring, the unsung heroes of the Revolutionary War.